And now, our voices are being recorded for posterity. And how exciting is that? So this is it, the 52nd episode, episode 52, uh, end of season one, the finale, if you will. There's going to be a big um, sort of teaser and we'll leave it on a cliffhanger at the end. Will they die in the bus crash? I thought it was going to be a song and dance thing. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to do a little quick number and then uh, I'll be teetering in the edge of the cliff and it's a will they, won't they situation for, for next year. Yeah, I've got a hat on and everything. (laughs) <laughs> stunning stunning work for the uh, audio only podcast I, well you know i like to try tj <laughs> and it just it adds something i don't know what but it adds something well it keeps my head warm for a start <laughs> do you want to tell the people what your hat is because i've seen it but uh, they don't have the luxury of a whatsapp message oh yeah uh, well they will see it i'm sure it'll go on uh, instagram or the blog at some point but um yeah, it's a Victorian thinking cap, um, sometimes known as a smoking cap. Uh, and Victorian gentlemen used to wear it at home in the evenings um, when in drafty rooms, just, you know, to keep the draft off. Um, hmm. Although what, once you see the design of them, they're, they're, they're usually quite ornate. They're made of silk or velvet, uh, and they have a very fetching tassel. Uh, so if you think of a sort of bright, multicolored fez... Um, but with a soft material, uh, teamed nicely with some, some podcasting headphones. Uh, and there you are. That's, that's my look for the evening. Very good. Um, the way they were meant to be worn. Well, it does have a relevance. It will come back later in the show. Um, I, I will explain <laughs> all, I promise. Right. So let's get on with it. What's, what, what are we doing? What are we, what are we writing with and on TJ? I think we have a theme this week, uh, well, certainly me and some of the listeners, uh, with bicolor pencils, so red on one end, blue on the other. Uh, I was writing with my Caran Dash bicolor 999, which is a nice little pencil I was given, actually, in the bookshop here in town. Um, lovely little Swiss pencil, uh, red on one end, blue on the other, which is very handy for marking up and annotating and all that good stuff, but... Uh, I think there was a little bit of a run on uh, bicolor pencils in Nero's notes because uh, you had some and now you don't. Oh, yeah, we're we're down to singles only. Yeah, all the boxes have gone, but uh, I dare say we'll be able to rectify that soon enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I finally, finally finished my Nomad Space today. So that's actually a pretty good uh, record. Someone can go back and do the math on how long it actually took me from first mentioning it till now. Um, but I finally moved on to a Field Notes expedition today, uh, okay. which has got the nice synthetic paper, which I know it's a bit of a, it's one of those Marmite or, or Vegemite ones where people will not like it with pencil, but I love it. It's a really different, smooth feeling uh, with the synthetic paper, and I really like it. And it's um, uh, it's it's good wet, it's good in the cold, it's, it's almost yeah, indestructible, it's that stuff, isn't it? Pretty much. I actually bought some of the paper in A4 sheets. Uh, and I have one in my bath for writing notes in the bath. Well, there you go. That is forward thinking. Do you ever write notes <laughs> in the bath? I have, since I got the waterproof paper, been known to, yeah. Well, there you go, you see. It works well in the shower, too, because the uh, the synthetic paper uh, it has like a, a cling or a static effect. So you can actually dampen the window of the shower and paste the paper onto it, which will give you a nice flat surface. And then just leave a pencil in the shower and you can write all your shower thoughts directly onto the, the waterproof paper. And that'll be while you're having your, your shower beer, presumably. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's leaking. 
because uh, I just overuse it while I write novels in it. Ah, uh, there you go, you see. There's always a reason, TJ, if you dig deep mm-hmm. enough. Alrighty. Well, um, I, I'm going to change every week as well. I've just this minute uh, finished my, my Leuchter, my little job book. Uh, so I'm now mm-hmm. into a Back Pocket Co. Um, it's uh, It's from cup to paper. So it's a collaboration with Rob Draper, uh, an artist who uh, he used to do works of art and leave them on coffee cups, um, dis- oh, yeah. disposable coffee cups. Um, and so he's done this collab with uh, with Justin and Back Pocket Co., where the notebooks are made of recycled coffee cups uh, and the cover art is designed by Rob Draper. So it's all very, very cool. cool, very clever. Um, for fountain pen folk, uh, this is this is the real stuff. Um, it's a hundred and twenty GSM Conqueror paper, uh, which is pretty pretty good. Conqueror white is a lovely lovely bright white, and a hundred and twenty GSM will handle pretty much anything you can throw at it. Um, and they, yeah, they're just really nice notebooks. Um, so yeah, I'm quite quite looking forward to this. It's. Uh, it's high quality stuff. Uh, and I'm using a pencil that I've never used before. Uh, a Milan. Uh, which obviously enough has got nothing to do with Italy. Uh, it's a Spanish brand. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is a, a graphite uh, 2B. That's how it's described. It's sort of blue and grey. Um, it's like a rounded triangle shape. It's called a rouleau triangle. It's called uh, a who? It's a mathematical shape. A rouleau, as in the French word rouleau, triangle. Oh, okay. Uh, I think it's a mathematical constraint where it's equidistant from the center at all times, but still a triangle. I need to look it up. Something like that. Well, I'm once again blown away by your pencil knowledge there. I'll put it in show notes and I'll probably be wrong, but I'll put it in show notes. Okay. But it's, uh, either way, it's a, it's a nice pencil. Um, I'm not sure about the... Uh, uh, triangle roulade, um, if that's the correct term. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see where we get to. Hmm, very good, very good. Uh, right, what's next? Then watching. So, should we have a drum roll while you uh, get ready for your film review? Oh, uh, for my thirty-minute film review, indeed. But I'll, I'll let you start. <laughs> uh, so, I made a pact with myself uh, to watch one hundred movies this year and record the data on that movie on those movies, when and what I thought. Uh, so I'm I'm doing all right. I'm, I think I'm about six films in so far. Uh, so I watched Central Intelligence, which is a comedy vehicle for The Rock and Kevin Hart, uh, which wasn't bad. It was funny enough. Uh, and I also watched, accidentally, The, the Last Witch Hunter, uh, which is a Vin Diesel film. Vin Diesel being a giant nerd who loves D&D. And this is very much in that wheelhouse where he plays like an immortal... Uh, dragon not dragon mortal witch hunter type thing uh again surprisingly good it's one of the few times i watched television as opposed to streaming services mm-hmm. i was um i will get on to this later on i was cleaning a cabinet a metal cabinet um from with stickers i'm trying to get them off with wallpaper stripper and it's very methodical and very time consuming and so the tv was just on in the background and as i was doing this uh, Central Intelligence, the film came on. I thought, oh, I've never seen it. I want to watch a few movies this year. Let's let's just let it play out while I'm cleaning. I watched it. It wasn't bad. And then immediately after that, I think it was on Channel 4 or Film 4 or something, 
um, The Last Witch Hunter came on, and this was already late, and it came on. I thought, oh, well, I'll just I'll just finish up, <laughs> and then finish the cabinet, finish cleaning the stickers, and alas, stayed and watched the end of the film. So I got to bed about half two on Saturday night because um, I watched a, a Vin Diesel movie, but I, I don't regret it. Well, at least it, it wasn't a school night. No, Saturday night only. Big boys night, you know, drink one beer, watch two movies and go to bed at half two. What about you? Uh, Well, I am sort of following up on the last week, um, my sister-in-law and her desire to watch mafia movies. Um, I I downloaded Casino. I I Mm -hmm. I didn't download anything at all Um, on Netflix selected casino which i hadn't seen i'd heard a lot about um uh it's uh, it's de niro and uh it's scorsese um the i can't is it sharon stone i think uh and joe pesci so you know big cast big director um got 79 percent on rotten tomatoes which i'm led to believe is good Mm -hmm. um this is the film that never ends. <laughs> it's got a runtime of 182 minutes. Oh, my goodness. I mean, <sighs> by any standards, that is a chunk of film. Um, yes. It's literally double what a normal film would be. An average American film is 90. So yeah. it's literally double. And it's narrated as well. Um, and there's. I should hope so. I'm not doing all my own reading for three hours. <laughs> but there's all sorts of um, um, of sort of devices within it as well. So you see the ending of the film as the, is the opening scene. Oh yeah, that old uh, trope. Yeah, and uh, frankly, the family lost interest. Um, I don't think we made it as far as ninety minutes. So um, okay. Given that I know what happens because it was in the first scene. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Was, you kind of, yeah, you front-ended that one. Yeah, I wasn't, wasn't enormously bothered what happened in the 90 minutes uh, after the first 90 minutes. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to cut short the film review. Um, I'm not very good at watching films, but no, that, that didn't seem to be one for us. <laughs> uh, what about listening? I have been doing a little bit of that. Yeah, I have been listening to Nine Inch Nails and some background music and... Uh, I got onto that from the Social Network original soundtrack, which is a really, really good soundtrack by uh, Trent Reznor. And I think it's Atticus something. Yeah, uh, I two was... Two sort of electronic. I was yeah. just listening to it, actually, just before we uh, started recording, just because I was curious. I haven't seen the movie. So. Oh, uh, it's one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. It's really, really good, really, really evocative. I need to watch the film again. I've seen the film, The Social Network, that it comes from, obviously based on Facebook. Watched it when it came out. Um, haven't seen it since. And I dare say there's an interesting sequel in there somewhere to do a, a sort of more modern take on the Facebook thing now that there's a whole lot more Facebook in the news. Oh, I imagine they're fighting. Uh, there'll be three or four of them out within <laughs> this year, I'd say. Yeah. The social network. What's <laughs> to that effect, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not bad. Uh, nice sort of background music keep me going while I'm working on things. I'm finding I... I'm kind of listened out of all the things I'm listening to, so I'm trying to find something to reset that a little bit. Very good. 
Uh, well, I Thank only you. listened to the first couple of tracks, and I have to say, uh, evocative, that was a word that came to mm-hmm. mind. Quite sort of dark. Um, yeah, very dark. Dark, sort of moody music. I, I, say, I haven't seen the movie. I can, I can pretty much imagine what's in the movie. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here in my, uh, my little basement, the rain pounding down outside. I was like, ooh, I'm, I'm not sure I'm enjoying this, but it turns yeah, something jolly it's rain, on. actually. Yeah, I, I once listened to it in a car. Uh, it was actually, I think I was waiting for Meg or something, but I had a, a coffee from McDonald's and I was sitting in the car park and the rain was pounding down like that and that was playing. And I just sat, I think, for about 20 minutes, just lounging back in the seat, really enjoying the sort of atmosphere that it created. So it works well with rain, I can attest. Well, there we go, you see. Uh, accidental atmospherics. Um, <laughs> uh, what have I been listening to? Well, I've been listening to podcasts, including our podcast, which is a little mm-hmm. bit odd. Um, I don't always listen to all of the episodes. Um, but I wanted to listen to this one because um, I knew that you were adding uh, a couple of voices at the end. Uh, some people mm-hmm. who very kindly did messages for us. Uh, and I hadn't pre-listened to those tracks. So... Um, I thought Joey Cafone, I'm going to say that in Italian, you say Joey Cafone. I think he says Joey Cafone. Um, yeah. The the man behind Baron Fig. Uh, his message was very enigmatic, um, sort of mm. hinted at uh, I liked it. events of the year. Um, nice. It was quite raw. I actually thought it was it was sharing quite a lot with us. I thought it was a really nice message to, to come across. It didn't feel scripted or... Uh, Absolutely, sort of yeah. No, I agree with you. It's, uh, uh, you know, I, I was intrigued. Um, I mean, I think uh, my feelings about Baron Fig are well recorded. I think they're a great company. Um, I like the stuff they do. I'm annoyed that they won't let me sell their goods. Um, <laughs> and I consistently and constantly hassle Joey about that. And I will continue to do so. Um, but uh, no, that was really nice. And uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, and then we had... Uh, Scribble, uh, Scribble Monobodo, mm-hmm. um, who uh, he has he has a couple of blogs. I think Too Many Pens is one that springs to mind. Uh, and he heads up a thing called UnitedInkdom.uk, uh, which if you haven't come across that, it's a whole bunch of uh, inky type people uh, get together and do meta reviews. So rather than just getting one person's opinion on some paper or ink, you get a whole bunch of people uh, reviewing it. And so you get a much more sort of balanced uh, review. Um, if you haven't been there before and you are into uh, ink and ink pens, approach with caution. Um, this is a warren of rabbit holes that you're about to fall down. <laughs> Um, but no, fantastic to hear from as well. Uh, Scrib does some writing for us on the blog uh, at Nero's Notes. Uh, he, he puts an article up, uh, review up uh, once every month or so. Um, might even be more than that, in fact, I can't remember. Um, so yeah, that was lovely too. I'm yeah, up- I'm just looking at his handwriting. It's it's absolutely glorious. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I when's the, the last time we met up was at the Stationery Show uh, in London. And we went for some lunch. Um, and whenever you go for lunch with Scrib, he then pulls out a little pen carrier, um, which sort of, it's it's got TARDIS-like quality. So he opens it up <laughs> and presents you with like seven sailors and four pilots and three custom made. Um, and, and you sit there playing with nibs and inks and, uh, and generally forgetting to eat. 
this is a man who knows his way around an ink pen. I think it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that, I enjoyed that. That was good. Um, there we go. A plug for our own podcast. That's that's got to be sort of post postmodern, surely. Um, uh, <laughs> I have been listening to some music, uh, some playlists from Apple. Um, so Keep Calm and Study was one that I, I put on. I just wanted some background music while I was writing. Uh, that was very nice, very classical, sort of piano concerto type stuff. Uh, and just just a, this evening, I was listening to Tears for Fears, uh, which uh, many people are going, who? Uh, and older people are going, God, God, are they still around? Well, they are. Um, and I know that because a client and friend of mine is going to see them in Cardiff on the same day as I'm going to do the pen show in Bristol. So he's going to swing by the pen show to say <laughs> hi on his way to see Tears for Fears. Um, so, yeah, the Tears for Fears, their heyday was in the 80s, um, but they have been uh, carrying on ever since. Uh, doing uh, And their music's really evolved, actually. It's, it was quite interesting from my point of view. Uh, so, yeah, listening to lots. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about my listening because not only have I been listening to that, I've been listening to uh, the the Audible account. It's now mm-hmm. back up and running. Uh, I finished Travels with Charlie, uh, John Steinbeck, uh, which is excellent, um, as you might expect from Steinbeck. And I'm now listening to something that's much more in your wheelhouse, I would have thought, which is um, Dune by Frank Herbert. Yeah, one of those ones that's been on my list for a long time, but never got right to it. I, I, I'm very much the same. I mean, I think I was probably... Uh, well, I, I would have been around when it came out because I've got a feeling this came out in the maybe the late seventies, early eighties. I'm not sure, um, but it, I remember it being a massive tome. You looked at it and thought, or I looked at it and thought, well, I'm not sure I could take that on. Um, it's a 21 hour Audible book, so jeez, that's you know that's a, a chunk of book. Um, and for me, at least, it's less intimidating when somebody else is doing most of the work. So uh, I've started listening to that. And, yeah, I'm hooked. I'm I'm in the world, hmm. um, understanding the problems. And um, Interestingly, uh, June is a 1965 science fiction novel by American author Frank Herbert, originally published as two separate serials in Analog Magazine. So you know the magazine I used to read? Yeah, yeah. Originally published there. Wow, 65. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, well, I, I've got to say it, 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 I wouldn't have thought that listening to it being read to me, um, whether that's because it's been done recently or not, I don't know. Mm. Um, sort of translating then from the, the listening to the reading, um, I've got a couple of books on the go. I've got one I mentioned before, the 10 arguments for deleting your social media accounts by, mm-hmm. do excuse me, Jaron, Yaron, Jaron. Uh, Lanier, uh, your, you, you choose. Um, <laughs> I'm, I think we're about five arguments in now. Uh, so fifty percent. Yeah, I mean it's 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 very passionate. It's very knowledgeable. Um, it is clearly one man's point of view. Um, I suppose what I'm saying is, I I don't know whether his arguments are becoming less persuasive because they're becoming a bit iterative. Um, Mm. uh, 
but then again, you know, that's, I suppose, inevitable. He's, he's coming at the same question from a variety of different angles and from a depth of knowledge. And I think he's also saying what perhaps most of us probably already know. Um, the, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the, the Googles um, are not in, they're not doing what they do for love. They're not doing what they do for making the world a better place. Um, they're doing it to make money. Um, and how they're doing it, well, we should understand more, I think. Um, we've covered this 25 times before, let's not do it again. But yeah, given the choice, I would probably come off Facebook um, as, yeah. a, as an individual. Um, but from a business point of view, why would I not go to that place where people are? Um, so... Yeah, that that is my conundrum. Uh, in fiction mm. terms, uh, I've started The Tattooist of Auschwitz, which is one that I've sort of had on the, the library for a long time uh, and I shied away from. I mean, it's quite a scary title, obviously. Yeah. But uh, no, it's the new year. Get in there. Uh, carry on. Get, get, get stuck in. You know, that's, that's the way it goes. Yeah, I'm going to try and... F- watch 100 films and read 50 books in 2019 that's my goal Very good. Uh, and i've been tracking so i'm two books in uh, I'm, I'm arguably counting books that i started in 2018 and finished in 2019 within the 2019 count uh sort of jury's out whether that's legal but who cares um, I, I don't think the police so, but, are going to come around and check you'll be okay well we'll see uh, uh, two books and six films so we're doing all right i'll keep everybody updated but that's one of my Resolution will be a strong term, but it's one of my ambitions for this year. Very good. Uh, are you counting? Sort of, you counting audibles? Uh, yeah, because I figure that's just a variable of reading. So reading is audible, Kindle, or paperback or hardback, uh, because I don't really distinguish. I listen interchangeably to lots of different kinds of books in lots of kind of ways. So I'm not going to do audiobooks this year because it's the same as reading. Let's be honest. Cool. Uh, and in, with that in mind, I have two books finished uh, to talk about, Algorithms to Live By. Finished it literally this morning on the train. Oh, my goodness. Really enjoyed that book. Um, may well lead me deeper down the uh, software engineering front Ooh. and computer science. It might lead me down a bit of a rabbit hole there. Um, some more on that perhaps later, but really enjoyed it. Really, really good. Actually got a topic for a future episode from it. I'll not mention it now, but it's in the topic list if you want to have a snoop for later. Great stuff. Um, and then I also finished The Singularity Trap, which is a Dennis E. Taylor uh, audiobook. Um, science fiction, really good. The fourth book from an author I like. So Dennis E. Taylor wrote uh, a trilogy and then this book. So this book is not within the trilogy. And as far as I can tell, not really within the same universe. Um Really love the trilogy. Really like this book. I think the trilogy is probably a little stronger. This book, possibly because it's on its own, wasn't as, as engaging, but it was really good. Uh, so finished that the other day. And I'm trucking well and truly through Tool by Matt Gemmell. Uh, really enjoying it. Really fantastic book. Um, kind of pacing myself now because I want a series of these. I want a, a Fleming-esque litany of these books that I can just dive into. And I know that this one is the, the only one that's left for now so savoring excellent well i directed uh matt to uh your comments last week 
Um, oh, very good. Which he uh, he's um, he was absolutely delighted if I can if I can make all this this damn technology work. I'll tell you what he said. Here we go. Um, <laughs> uh, that's a fantastic segment. All smiles here listening to it. Can't wait to to let Lauren hear it tonight. Lauren is his uh, his partner. Lovely. Well, that's bit. nice whenever people hear what you're talking about because I, I had anticipated that, but um, it's nice to find a new author that you like and a new author that you think, I could read this stuff all day. It doesn't matter what you write, I could read it. And that's always welcome. Absolutely. Okay. So Drinking. Drinking. I th- one of the rare times that my side of the show notes looks decidedly more naughty than your side. Oh, well, indeed. I'm. I'm I've got... Lemon and ginger tea on the go, uh, and water. The uh, yes, uh, all of the food that I ate. Um, it appears that I I just just wrapped it round my waist. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I had a salad for dinner, as the slackers mm, will know. Yeah, there's, but, uh, there's um, quite a lot of salad in my life. Quite a lot less bread. Mm. Um, alcoholic beverages. I I I get the look. Um, yeah. So, Yes. No, I did have. A... I started giving myself the look. I have a couple of beers in the fridge. Then I was just about to open one for this, and then I thought, ah, it's a school night. You don't need a beer on a school night. Think of the carbs. There you go. You see, empty, belly. empty calories. Empty. Oh, well, that's it. We could do a weight loss episode. No, no, don't worry, people. We're not going to do a weight loss episode. Um, but yeah, no, it's. Um, uh, I think you said somewhere else. I think it was in the Slack. Eat a bit better, move a bit more. That's the. Uh, yeah. That's the drill. In rocket surgery, I have been treating myself. I got uh, for Christmas a very nice whiskey uh, by Suntory, obviously Japanese Suntory Toki whiskey, which is a blended Japanese whiskey. Toki being the Japanese word for time. Uh-huh. Uh, so they've got uh, there's two I think that they have in sort of common circulation over here. There's Hibiski, I think, is the other one. Um, this is one that Meg got me for Christmas. Um, I tried a Japanese whiskey for the first time at a friend's wedding in December there. That was really, really good. Uh, so she got me this for Christmas and it was lovely. And I've had maybe four or five little doubles out of that so far. Really enjoying it. Nice with just a little bit of ice. And uh, I actually treated myself the other night. I had a, a warm bath, an iced whiskey, and uh, about 45 minutes of reading uh, Toll. So it was a, quite a pleasant evening. Excellent. Well, there you go. It's, it's- Life in the fast lane, TJ. <laughs> 27 going on 72. <laughs> and what about buying? You been buying anything? Yeah, ah, the weekend was good. The weekend was a time of um, DIY and relaxation. Though they sound like opposite ends of the spectrum, they were in fact conjoined in this instance. Uh, we bought fancy toilet roll holders, which is the most mundane thing ever. And I've successfully broached adulthood by doing that. Um we were in Dunelm Mill, which is a homeware shop for those of you in the UK. Um, they, people in the UK will know it. People in America, it's it's like Bed Bath & Beyond, I guess. It's just a homeware shop. Um, and we found these really nice sort of copper and blackened metal toilet roll holders for, I think it was £5 each or something. They were ridiculously discounted. Um, one of those things that we haven't actually gotten around installing. Uh so we bought those we bought two and i put one in the downstairs bathroom one in the ensuite and they look marvelous and i didn't destroy anything by drilling into the wall to put them in uh and we also got curtains finally for our living room in the same place so we had these horrible vertical blinds 
uh, you know the horrible, nasty 90s office ones you get that's like that white material mm -hmm. and they hang in vertical lines? Oh, my goodness. I've never hated an inanimate object more than the curtains in our living room or the, the blinds in our living room. And finally, yesterday, I was able to throw them in the skip and it was so nice. So we installed nice curtains. Uh, it took me at least 90 minutes to install the curtain poles. Uh, it shouldn't have. I just hate curtain pulls. Um, a lot of swearing. Uh, Megan doesn't really understand the use of tactical swearing. Um, there's a a well-renowned fact that if you're drilling into concrete with a drill that is not really supposed to drill into concrete bricks uh, and you drill normally, drill normally, remember what Stu told you, slow down a little bit, you know, let the, let the torque do the work, slow down a little bit, find that the drill's starting to sort of give out swear profusely and then drive your arm into the wall with the force of thor uh, you will actually drill to the the point you need and the the curtain pole will go up but it's heartily hearty swearing is required <laughs> well there you are uh, I, your future as a diy podcaster i think is secured <laughs> and and then we sort of get it up and finish and go there we go perfect and meg we go why did you need to did you need to yell is it necessary yeah no, you don't get it. It's it's a very important, integral part of the process. It would not happen otherwise. Yeah, well, there you go. I, the result, I am sure, justifies the means. I will stick a photo in Slack of my curtains because I am a middle-aged man who cares about such things. I, I can't wait to go upstairs and take photographs of my vertical blinds and put them in Slack. <laughs> oh, I've, I've, it's, a, it's an unnatural hatred that I have for those blinds. Well, yeah, yeah, you'll like this. Uh, we have got literally across the front of the house is one, two, three sort of double patio doors are, are the windows. Uh -huh. um, and uh, as you might imagine in Cyprus, the that's a great idea, apart from the fact that sun coming through the windows makes things very hot very quickly. Yeah. So the glass is reflective and then behind the glass sets of vertical blinds uh, for, for which I would add two things. One, I agree with your assessment of them uh, in terms of, of the look um, and two puppies love the little connecting plastic <laughs> at the bottom yeah. uh, the stuff that's really fiddly to connect back into your blinds once the puppy has wrenched them out uh, so at some yeah. point soon there will be a replacement of the blinds exercise in this house as well. Um, but mm. yes. Mm. Mm. Right. Okay, then. So parish notices and life changes. Um, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll start this one off. Uh, the first one, a very sad note. If, you, if you're if you a stationary buyer in, uh, in the UK, uh, then you will know about Bureau Direct, a fantastic company uh, based in London. There used to be a little shop. Then they went online. Uh, they've been at it for, I think, 23 years uh, up until last Wednesday when they closed down. Um, I can't really tell you why. I can tell you what was in the email that they sent to the customers. Um, that uh, uncertainty and discounting um, were, you know, major parts of of the stationary market and either online or in store um and yeah they just couldn't make it work anymore 
Uh, and that is very sad. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, that's when I sort of re- my rebirth back into stationery. That was the the website that I went and started picking up notebooks and pens, and uh, because they had a fantastic stock, uh, really encyclopedic stock, I would say. Uh, so, yeah, this year, Cult Pens, I mean, Cult Pens still exists, but it's now owned by WH Smith. I think we covered that before. Um, so you always fear a little bit when, when a big guy swallows up a little guy. Um, you know, whether it be in, in the tech world or the stationary world, the result is usually mm. the same. Um, and Bureau Direct, yeah, just simply closing the doors and, and not playing anymore, uh, which is a shame. I mean, I... You know, people have said to me, oh, it must be good for you. You'll get more business. Well, I, I, I hope we will be able to serve some of the people who can't get the stuff that they want from, from Bureau Direct. But by the same token, we don't carry uh, we don't carry a tenth of the stock that um, Bureau Direct yeah. used to. You could get everything from, you know, your lever arch folders to your post-its, uh, 27,000 types of paperclip. You know, we, we might have three. Um so yeah, I'm. I hope that uh, everybody there uh, moves on and and gets you know a great opportunity out of this. Usually, when these things happen, uh, there is a silver lining, and I hope that all works out for them. But yeah, it was a huge shock, terrible shame. Lovely company, really nice people. Um, yeah, surprising and sad. Mm. Uh, on on happier news, I know that everybody is waiting with bated breath um, for <laughs> the bag of the week. Uh, so this, bag cast yep so we're now going into an hour long segment uh, if if you want to skip forward to about I don't know one hour 45 then we'll be back to talking about something else um, no so the bag that's winning for for my UK trip is the the much maligned to me um, uh, A because obviously it's worth its weight in gold almost literally uh, and because I, I I started playing with all my bags. Obviously, the minute we stopped recording, um, I didn't go to sleep for about forty eight hours. Um, and it unzips all the way around, so it's uh, TSA friendly is the American term. So if you lay it flat with your laptop in one section of it, then those lovely people at airports um, won't shoot you, arrest you, or do whatever it is they do to you. Um, <laughs> What what nobody tells anybody from the States is that nobody else in the world cares that it's got TSA friendly written on it. If you try and do that at Heathrow, they'll look at you and say, which bit of take the laptop out of the bag are you struggling with, sir? <laughs> um, it'll be very polite, but it'll be very firm. Yeah, less so. You would think so, but, you know, these guys have been doing it for, you know, six months, eight hours a day. And... I, I've lost count of the amount of times that I'm behind uh, an American traveler in a queue and the American, uh, no, but it's TSA friendly. And uh, the <laughs> security official looks at him and says, I can't think of another way to say this. Take the laptop out of <laughs> the bag. If you don't, I will and you won't get it back. Do you understand? <laughs> And the poor, poor guys going, oh, okay, okay. You just think, oh, it's so unnecessary. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's one of my, my other pet peeves. <laughs> so anyway, um, it's it's a great bag. It's got little, lots of little sections in it. Um, the stuff that I want to take, and I have got photos, 
um, because I have packed the bag um, and unpacked it and repacked it and unpacked it. So the stuff that I want to take fits in there quite comfortably. Um, everything seems to work. Everything seems to have a place. It's black, so it will go with all of those different looks. It's not too big. So I, I, I kind of followed your advice and did some pros and cons <laughs> for each use. Um, and uh, rumors that I, at the same time, was ordering another bag from <laughs> Baron Fig uh, can, <laughs> cannot be confirmed or denied at this time. Okay. Mm. Hmm. There we are. Um, and last one from me on uh, on parish notices was we had Nask eighteen fifty seven in the Slack from Justin, uh, who was asking about planner slash bujo uh, bullet journal layouts for twenty nineteen. So, what are you doing? I think I know the answer to this, but what are you doing for your planner layout this year? Uh, well, my planner lays itself out because I've got the the Field Notes fifty six week planner. Yeah, that's what I figured. So it the the work's done for me, which I much prefer. I kind of and I I haven't progressed very far in the bullet journal book. I've read bits and pieces, but um, I've seen a lot of people draw out these very elaborate doodles and and sketches with the same scripty font and gold lettering and shadowing and drop boxes and all this kind of stuff, and it looks nice. And they fill out their notebooks. And then they fill it in for three weeks and then they abandon it. Mm. I don't, I don't, I kind of, I don't have enough faith in my ability to stick to regularly using structures to f- spend that amount of time creating paper-based ones. You know, fair enough if it's a calendar or something where it'll sit there until I'm ready and then I can just copy and paste and it'll still be relevant. But if you're, you know, filling up half a notebook with ideas and concepts and things you want to do, um, in terms of structure, and then three weeks later, it's not the structure you're using. Kind of feels like a waste. Sure, sure. I mean, I, what you're saying actually mirrors um, what Ryder Carroll, the guy behind it, is saying. His latest video, um, if you go onto his website, is uh, back to basics, um, and he talks of meeting a uh, an Instagram boojoa um who was at a book signing and you know he he i think he he noted that she'd uh she'd not done been posting anything for a while and and she she admitted to having given up um because she was finding it so hard as you say to sort of maintain these amazing sort of works of art and and then got discouraged and then stopped uh which you know, I, I don't. Ryder gets a bit of a bad press at times as as being sort of evangelical, or um, I don't think he is. I I think he's in a bit of a he's between a rock and a hard place. Um, he's he's designed this product and he wants people to buy this product. Um, so he he has to believe in the product if he's going to talk about it, and if he sounds a bit sort of non-committal, then I suspect. That's not a great way to sell anything. Um, but I, I don't think he's perhaps as um, as puritanical as some people have suggested. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think from, yes. his, from his point of view, I think he's thinking, well, you know, I've, if this is what's actually happening, then people are kind of are missing the boat. And A, they're not going to buy the book and B, they're not going to buy the journals. Um. And and so he has sort of done this video about bringing it all back to basics. 
but I say, unusually yeah, for me, I'm not that cynical about it. I mean, I think, um, I think it bullet journaling does have a role and does have a purpose for people who want it. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any any doubt that for some people it would be completely pointless because they've got a planning system that they've been using for X, Y, and Z years and it works perfectly. Um, but for people like me who are constantly tinkering and perhaps getting a bit lost and prone to falling down rabbit holes, um, I think it does have a use. And to answer Justin's original question, I use the... Um, the sort of dogmatic, uh, the approved Ryder Carroll method, um, <laughs> by which I mean I yeah. just have uh, some basic pages at the front, um, future logs. Um, I've adjusted it a little bit in that my my books are not as open ended as his, so I've said that one book will do me for a quarter, um, and if that means I've got some spare pages at the end, so be it. Uh, my concern at the moment actually is that I might need more than one book for a quarter because I'm I'm being quite prolific with my note taking at the moment. Um, but then what? never. Yes, indeed. Uh, <laughs> as what happens is that I rapid log um, as per the sort of the Bujo, um approach, but then I might also start freestyling. So um, something might come into my head, or I might be. Um, uh, I, I, Dingbats is a range of notebooks. Um, somebody had said something to me on one of the social media channels about pricing. And so I thought, oh, hang on. I, I need to go and check what the world is doing with, with Dingbats. Um, and so I went onto different sites and wrote down, okay, they're selling this one at that price and that one at this price and this is their shipping. And that was all going into the bullet journal. Um, not as a task, but as a note. Uh, so you know, it's part part journal, part scratch pad, I guess. Yeah, um, but I think that's that's what's great about BJ. You can use it uh, how it suits you. So that works really well for me, like that during the week. Um, but at weekends, then you know, I might I might only have two tasks in it for the entire weekend, or one note, or or nothing at all. Um, that's what I like about the flexibility. Okay, uh, interesting. I think we could probably have a whole episode on on that kind of thing. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, bullet journals still. Um, 2017 was the peak, apparently. Um, doesn't look that way to me. It still seems to be charging onward. I suppose the book release mm. would have would have helped with that too. So, what about you? Well, I can happily announce that this is the end of season one of 1857. That is our 52 episode, one year full of podcasting, um, which is really really cool. We didn't miss an episode. We didn't release too late on some of them. I did accidentally release this morning's episode at 9pm and only at 9.15am did I realise that and change it over. Uh, but apart from that, uh, an episode has been released every week for 52 weeks, which is, I'm particularly proud of that. And That's fantastic very, very pleased. I've, I've really enjoyed all of our chats and it's it's fun to look ahead and see what we can come up with for season two. I was going to say, we've had extensive discussions about season two. Um and we should probably reveal to the listeners what, what those were. Um, should we carry on? Yeah. Okay, good. Well, there we are. That was, uh, that was, that was the discussion that we had about, about season two. 
Um, but if anybody does have any <laughs> thoughts or concerns, then uh, do let us know. Uh, and I'm looking. I'm looking at your next note, which I hadn't seen earlier. <laughs> uh, this we're back to so, the Radler. Yeah, I I had a chat with my colleague today who came to see me at my office, and uh, he had been away skiing in Germany recently over Christmas, and uh, he had downloaded an episode of our podcast to listen to on the plane, and an episode to listen to on the plane back. And I, I thought that was very nice. He came to chat about it. Um, he just so happened to pick the Christmas episode for the flight out and the Hogmanay episode for the flight home. Uh, so he was he was subject to some chat about the the, the great Radler Shandy debate debacle debate debacle of twenty eighteen, uh, and then uh, he made it his mission while in Germany to find out more from the the, the locals. Um, so I have some photos that I will share with you uh, of a, of an actual Radler. And apparently the key ingredient, I'm told, is lemon juice. It's the inclusion of actual lemon juice. Yeah. Uh, it changes the consistency, changes the color. And that is the, the key component we're missing that takes it from Shandy to Rattler. There we go. Um, so I think we can probably put this one to rest. And, and Neil will be happy knowing that uh, he's finally been vindicated on air. Indeed. I, well, I mean, trust the Germans to have a precise and concise answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There is a specification. There you go. Well, there's probably a label. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there we go. I well, think we've 45 minutes in, reached the topic. I, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that we've got to the bottom of the Rattler issue. I'm not, not sure we need to bother with anything <laughs> else, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Well, so what are we talking about tonight? So we've touched on this tangentially the whole way through the episode, actually. But this week, we're going to talk about writing. And specifically, what, where, why, and perhaps how. Good Lord, Um, writing. Yeah, this is going to be a stew-centric episode, I feel. Certainly not. I can't imagine that. Um, (laughs) It may, however, run to four or five hours. Um, Writing, what, where, why, and who. Well, first of all, I, I think I have to say a big thank you to TJ Cosgrove, who created the paradigm to make it possible for me to pick up the pen again um and that was that chat in episode um i can't remember which one um about the the, uh, the fence panels and we sort of i think between us stumbled on mm-hmm. this uh this comparison uh yeah i'm i'm just Painting fence panels. That's my writing. That's that's what I'm doing. Uh, I do a fair amount of it. So in the jobby job, um, I I write blog posts. Um, I do sort of audits, stress tests, write reviews, policy changes, all sorts of corporate type stuff. Um, but it's writing nevertheless. Um, and I suppose the key... My key sort of sales point there is that I write in understandable English. I translate the nonsense that exists in in the corporate world, the jargon, the acronyms, uh, and try and make it understandable for for every man, as it were. Uh, so there's there's a writing skill that that needs to be employed there. Uh, in the hobby job, which would be uh, near as notes. Um, I write quite a lot of blog posts and the occasional email. Um, again, they tend to be 
trying to communicate to people the essence of, of a product or uh, why something is remarkable in one way or another. So again, it's it's flexing a, a sort of writing muscle. And then in what I've termed the sobby job, um, because <laughs> writing a novel will make you sob. Uh, if you I've just added it to our thesaurus, which is something I've been working on for about 10 episodes now. Ah, indeed. Our, our own our own personal terminologies. Um, yeah, so <laughs> that, uh, as has been discussed, was, was on hold for quite a while. Um, but I'm now uh, looking at it as fence panels. So the work in progress, the, the novel, um, is one that I've uh, sort of dug out of its folders and I'm now restructuring, um, scheduling, uh, treating it as I might treat any other sort of writing, um, breaking it down into to manageable bits and, yeah, changing the nature of, of the work. So... Uh, hopefully making it better, but I suppose time will tell. How are you finding it so far in the initial stages? Uh, really enjoying it. Um, I mean, there's a, there's part of that is novelty um, and pulling it out and, and going, oh, God, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I put loads of, oh, yeah. Um, and, and then, yes, alternately uh, giving up writing forever uh, when you read a scene and you think, that's utter tripe. Um, and then... <laughs> Just occasionally, just when you think all hope is lost, um, reading something, think, oh, oh, that's quite good, that. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, trying to get rid of the first bit and keep more of the, the second bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just, yes, yeah, stitch, stitch together a, a nice plot that makes sense. Um, and, you know, there's plenty of, of stuff out there to, to give writers an idea of structure and what tends to work and you can um you can go down a million and one rabbit holes about the structure of novels you can talk about the fact that there's only seven stories and every other every novel in the world is a variation on those seven stories um there's all sorts of theories that are bad um but the reality um is that you know i discovered that being a sort of oh i'll just let it flow um comes out with what you might expect really which is you know sort of slightly confused <laughs> stream of consciousness doesn't make an enormous amount of sense when I, mean, I found that one of my main characters her name was changing from scene to scene <laughs> yeah um you know which is mm. uh, that that's fine if you're you know writing twin peaks but um yeah i oh, just applying a bit of discipline to it uh, has been has been yeah revelatory for me so really yeah, i think it people don't realize that there's a there is an element of structure in creative things you know filmmaking is another one that i have a lot of experience in and people see movies and they go oh you just pick up the camera and you go and make that and you go no 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 this is literally years of effort on various people's part to bring together locations and sets and props and people and i mean if you looked at what actually went in to getting a single scene of a single drama show on Netflix, you'd think, where's the space of creativity? Who actually had time to sit down and write? We just had to get all these pieces together. It's so structured. It's so ordered that the creativity is almost like a, oh yeah, I guess we'll put a wee, wee nice paint job on the top of this. And to think that you kind of just turn up with a camera like an auteur and you know, fire something out that is blockbuster 
it just doesn't happen. It it doesn't happen with films, and I don't think it happens with anything else. No, I mean that's the um, you know, I've been writing lots of um, blog posts about it, but people people talk about um, pantsers and planners. So you, you do it by the seat of your pants, or you do it by planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I mentioned last time, you know, Stephen King is famously a pantser. Um, actually, I think that Stephen King has written so much that when he sits down to write a book, he's got the plan. It's just in his head. Um, yeah. He's not just making it up. Um, no. And also he operates in a different set of rules because the man has published so many books. Exactly. It doesn't count. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, I was, uh, I, I really enjoyed the process of uh, spewing out this book. And it, I wrote two of them and probably over a period of 18 months or so. But within that 18 months, um, I was probably working for two. Uh, the rest of the time was, you know, buying new MacBooks or looking at stuff on the internet or um, <laughs> yeah, making decisions on what sort of shirts writers wore, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Meta work. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I've probably got more done um, in snatches around my other commitments in the last uh, couple of weeks than I did in you know, whole periods of three, four months. Uh, be- wow! Because I'm, you know, I'm following a plan and I'm, I'm ticking things off and I'm going okay. So, you know, the characters, one of the names has changed. I've um, the the sort of central arc of the book has changed. Uh, the um, the, the I, ooh, hesitate to say it, but the message of the book has changed. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that is because the characters, I think, have, have sat around in folders and they've done a little bit of work on themselves, which I know sounds really <laughs> weird, but um, they they didn't read as I wrote them. So obviously, as as I've sort of had time to let my subconscious do whatever it does and come back mm-hmm. and look at these things, I've, I've read things and thought, oh, yeah, okay, that's, oh, right. Um, and yeah, I, uh, well, as I say, time will tell, but um, I think the book that will come out of this will be much tighter. Uh, it'll be much better written uh, and much better paced. So um, there are, there are, chapters in the current draft that I look at and I go what on earth was I trying to achieve I've no idea what I was trying to do here (laughs) yeah I've got films like that I've got videos and on pencils like that you think I'm sorry who made this and why yeah because it wasn't me that you know I've looked at scenes and gone they say a scene should you know move the plot forward tell you something about the character you know it it should do those two things as an absolute minimum and and I've looked at a scene and gone um, I don't know where we're going with the plot. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think I wrote in a blog post somewhere. Um, at one point, my character suddenly turned up in New York. Um, now, the book is set in Budapest. So I, uh, the only thing I could think of was I was listening to Sinatra at the time, and I just <laughs> suddenly we're on Times Square. It's Christmas. Um, the Pogues. Yeah, just weird. Absolutely bizarre. <laughs> um so, uh, yeah, I think it'll be a better book. Um, and yeah, thus far, I'm really enjoying it. Um, now, what else did you want? Oh, where? Where do I write? Well, I write anywhere. Um, 
And as I wrote in the show notes, it's this is probably the one thing that I can truly single task. Um, I can't multitask when I'm writing. So I can't listen to a podcast. Um, I can't listen to an audible book. Uh, I can, I, I like having music on, but I suspect I'm not listening to it. If you ask me afterwards what, yes. what, what was there, I'm sure I, I wouldn't know. Um, just everything else disappears. And that probably points to the answer of why, of why I write. Because I, I'm gone. I don't know where I'm gone. I'm into my own head, I suppose. But the act of writing, whether it be sitting here thinking about a plot or actually typing out the words or uh, working out how a character is going to react to a certain thing, whatever it might be, um, I'm fully, fully, fully focused on that and nothing else. Um, And yeah, most often I do that in my office. The... Uh, the thinking cap that I'm wearing was a gift from uh, from Margaret, um, prompted by me, I have to say. But it's it's a it's a signal, it's a trigger, um, both for me yes. and for her. So, I'm wearing this means that I'm I'm writing. So, I'm I'm in that place wherever that place is, where if if at all possible, I shouldn't be disturbed. Because let's be honest, most of the work that we do, you know, sending emails about emails and promising more emails, all of that stuff you can do with one hand and one ear and one eye and you can do other stuff. And, uh, you know, domestic life, if you happen to work at home, can continue around you. When I'm really, really focused and you can get into all the big words, you know, deep work and all of that sort of stuff, um, then it's really, really tough if I'm if I'm shaken out of it, if I'm disturbed out of it, then I truly am disturbed out of it, and I lose it, and I, I you know it takes half an hour to get back. So yeah. so I put the hat on. I know then okay, I'm now writing, which means all the notifications get switched off, all the electronics. Um, the the family, um, well, the dog is taking time to learn. In fairness, but Margaret knows that I'm hopefully not to be disturbed. Uh, and it, yeah, it just helps, I think, get you into that sort of uh, right mindset. That said, I also write on aeroplanes and I don't put on the Victorian thinking cap, although <laughs> I suppose there's something to be Jim. said for it. Um, but that's, it again, is something you and I have talked about before is the, is the old headphone trick. Even if you don't turn them on, puts a big chunky oh, headphones okay. on. Yeah. People leave you alone. Especially if they're noise cancelling, because then you get the added benefit of it actually does make outside quieter. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been known to be listening to, to music and reading, and the music gets to be annoying. So I pause just to have the noise cancelling and then drift away with my reality adjustment of not having to listen to other people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a handy little life hack, the big headphone thing. Um, mm. So... Yeah, going back to the bag, you know, key component with the bag is I have to be able to get the big headphones in and also the uh, the uh, AirPods. So there I am minimizing my my daily carry, but I'm carrying two sets of headphones. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that seems that tracks. Yeah. Um, 
So that's the what and the, the where. That's the what, the where. Uh, the why, okay. What about the why? Yeah, we kind of touched on, you know, I think that single focus, that everything else disappears thing. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd always wanted to be a writer. As a kid, I wanted to be a journalist. Um, and that kind of all got subverted and just by life, you know, no, nothing specific. Uh, but it always sort of bubbled away in the back of my mind. Oh, I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. Until I was faced with being a writer, at which point I suddenly went, oh, I want to be anything else. Um, and that's <laughs> that's all around imposter syndrome. And, uh, you know, having having a dream is great. It is quite rewarding. Achieving that dream or having the means to achieve that dream is quite scary. Because what if I write something and everybody went, oh, that's awful. What if I write something yeah. and I thought, oh, that's awful. I might want to be a writer, but I'm crap at it. I need to go and work in a bar or um, work in the garden or go back to foreign exchange or, you know, whatever it might be. And I don't think I ever admitted that or sort of, you know, consciously thought that. But good Lord, the amount of ways I would find to do everything else but writing. Yeah. Good God, I even went into the garden and I can't stand gardening. <laughs> it's, it's astonishing. <laughs> if you if you want to find out how inventive you can be, it's uh, this is a great way of doing it, is challenge yourself to to do these things. And what what fascinates me now is that you see or I see all sorts of other people going through exactly that same thing as I, I guess I'm yep. still going through. And, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll raise, I'll raise Andy Welfley, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, who's announced that he's writing a book. He's co-writing a book, um, you know, very much in his field of expertise. Um, and he's talked about, and, uh, you know, on social media is talking about his struggles with, you know, discipline and actually getting it down and writing it down. Now, I mean, everybody's listening to this podcast has heard the guy. He knows what he's talking yeah. about. He's, he's a very erudite and smart guy. And I'm sitting there at the other end of Twitter going, no, Andy, the problem is, mate, you're scared. <laughs> That's what's the matter. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's fascinating to me. It seems to be part of the human condition. Uh, yeah, I think it's so much easier to like the idea of something than like the reality of something, because the reality often includes work. Yeah, but I don't know. To me, actually, what's what I think has, has made me overcome this now is that once I've understood the nature of this and the nature of the concern and the fear, then I, I understand there's only one way to, to defeat it. And that's to publish something. Okay, there you go. Bang. Yes. It's done. Um, and again, something you said, you know, you've, you've got 10,000 hours of crap filmmaking to get out of the way um, mm -hmm. before you can get to the good stuff. So I think, okay, you know, 10,000 hours, we'll call that, I don't know, three or four novels, and hopefully the fifth or sixth will be okay. And once you get into that mindset and you start setting time for it, you, you still have fears and concerns, but... Um, you get to the point of saying, okay, I'm going to publish on this date. Bang, there we go. 
it needs to be as ready as it's going to be for that time. Because nowadays you don't need, you know, other people to participate in that for you particularly. You don't need to get a publishing deal. Um, yeah, I mean, it's great if you do, if you want to be, uh, you know, traditionally published, then you have to go through the whole getting an agent and then getting a publisher and, you know, all of those hoops that you, you jump through. Um, but if you, if you are happy to self-publish, then, well, you know, the clue's in the name. You can just get on and do it. Uh, and it's not technically terribly demanding. So, no. um, you know, even, even techno FUD that I am, I think I'll be able to do it. And if not, well, I'll just call you up. Uh, and the, and the various <laughs> yeah. people that I've lured into various Slack groups. Like, Excuse me, how do you make that work? Um, and I think then, uh, once you've sort of overcome that fear, uh, then I suspect it's easier. I've got no right mm -hmm. to know that, but you know, I believe it is. <laughs> so yeah, that's why I, I like stories. I like telling them. I like being in them. I like imagining them. Um. And as uh, uh, my best friend, uh, Mr. Smith, would say, <laughs> nobody would believe the shit that really went on. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the, there's little anecdotes that are going to go from from my past and through things that have, that have gone that I know people won't, won't believe. They'll think it's all part of the novel. Um, <laughs> but you know that I don't know. There's something quite nice about that. I, something quite egotistical about it too. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it now. Whereas for a long time I was dreading it. Um, and it's taken it's taken time and leaving it alone and ignoring it and procrastinating and all of those things have been part of the process of getting to understand why um, I wasn't moving the project forward at all. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel now that I've understood that, that it, it won't be an issue, which of course is a ridiculously stupid thing to say on a podcast because <laughs> I might have to come back in 12 months and go, well, <laughs> the problem is the cover. I just can't get the cover. Um, but <laughs> I'll do your cover. Don't worry about that. Graphic yeah. design, no bother. <laughs> Damn. Sorry. Uh, it's, it's the, it's the, um, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the, uh, it, it's, it's the back matter. It's the, the dedications that that's the, you know, I mean, I'm sure I'll yeah. come up with some amazing reasons as to why it's a problem, but, um, no, I've, um, I, I've got a blog at stuartlennon.com and I've changed the nature of that blog so that, um, I still put stuff up there about what I'm doing and, uh, uh about living the dream here, here in Cyprus, um, about the, the kit that I use, but I've also, um, started writing posts up there about writing and those posts are reserved for members um, and being a member of stuartlennon.com um, is a huge undertaking vastly expensive um, mm -hmm. it's 12 average earnings is i think twelve thousand pounds a year um that's full timers uh it's it's a tough tough place to make money because uh, I don't know. I mean, how much do you pay for a book on on Amazon? Two ninety nine, or ni yeah. ninety nine? Not much more than a fiver. Yeah, certainly. You know, unless it's um, you know, Steve Jobs, then you, you're not paying big money for electronic copies of books. And uh, you know, the vast majority of that goes to 
to the mighty Amazon. Uh, Big Jeff. Yep. Yeah, or indeed, you know, whoever else it is, whether, you know, Apple or Kobo or any of these guys. Um, and if you're, if you're not careful, then you may well have signed into a marketing deal with somebody or you know, cover design, you know, all of those things, you know, they cost money. They have to be done. And, uh, you know, the uh, writers end up with a pittance uh, out of, out of each sale. Um, so this cuts out all of those middlemen. Um, I can produce a book in Kindle form. I can produce a book that will work on, uh, well, I can produce a PDF, um, but I can produce one that will work on uh, Apple readers and Kobo and all that. It's, it's not terribly difficult once you look into it. Uh, and again, um, I'm sorry about this, Matt, but I'm shamelessly copying pretty much everything you do. Um, <laughs> I might even start calling my character Jessica. No, I won't. Um, the, um, he came up with, I, th I think it was through a conversation on Twitter, but he does signed ebooks. <laughs> so, yeah, you told me about this. Uh, it's just yeah. absolutely fabulous. So with the Apple Pencil, um, he, he writes a message on your personalized copy that goes to sit in your Kindle or your, you know, your iPad or wherever you read, uh, which has this, this fantastically modern, modern way of embracing the analog, to be honest. Digital analog, fantastic. So, yeah, anybody out there, um, feel free to uh, swing by stuartland.com and become a member. Give me money. Uh, yeah, link's in the absolutely, absolutely, yeah, but you've got to want to give me money. But if you don't want to give me money, go and uh, read the other posts because there's some, some decent stuff there. It's a pound a month. It's not exactly going to break the bank. Yeah, uh, one would hope not. Um, uh, but clearly, I'm, <laughs> I'm planning on buying a Ferrari uh, with the proceeds. So the final part of the question was how, um, and I've written in the show notes, uh, that's a very big question. Um, how do you write? What's the best way to write? And I'm going to shut up for a minute. You can answer what, where, and why, and then we'll come back and do how to go. How's that? That sounds good. Yeah. So writing is one of those things that, again, I think I've I've always considered it. I've always thought about it. And I do an awful lot of writing in work uh, and for other things. Uh, so I write a lot of copy, uh, promotional marketing copy, uh, engaging copy for websites, all that kind of stuff. And, I, and, you know, I'm not bad at it. I'm pretty good at it. I enjoy the crafting of prose, the sort of connection of words. I've always enjoyed it. If you look back at my old Wood and Graphite videos, um, scripts are a big part of it. I'll write the script. I'll speak the script. Not dissimilar to what I'm doing right now. You know, it's it's a... There's a trajectory established in the beginning and I kind of follow through and I really enjoy that kind of taking my mind and applying it to the English language and coming up with something that people will enjoy and read. Uh, so the idea of writing has always been one that has been in my head and certainly I read an awful lot as a kid. I listened to a lot of audiobooks and that sort of romanticized idea of being able to write something and then other people listen and getting paid for it has always been nice. Um, so sort of with respect to your writing, it kind of put me in the mood to do some more. And it's been something that I've, I've thought about for a long, long time. So, you know, I love good prose. I love good sci-fi. So I figured, you know, I could probably hash something together. So I've set some time aside every single week that I'm going to sit down with this laptop and just write, uh, based on a structure that I'm kind of assembling and we'll see what happens. I, I don't honestly know what will come of it, if anything, but I enjoy the process, and I think that's sometimes just enough. Um, I do have some ideas for fiction. I, I, like, I think I'll, 
if I'm going to write fiction, it's going to be sci-fi because I love sci-fi. Mm-hmm. I've watched so much and consumed so much that I have, if not an encyclopedic knowledge, a very deep knowledge of this kind of thing. And I really love and I want to add to it. So if it was fiction, if it was sci-fi, I like the idea of everything being within this same multiverse. I like the idea of a, nothing standing alone. So instead of writing a, a book and then throwing away all those characters in that world, everything should be an addition to a pre-existing world. That's complicated because that requires timelines and histories and lore and technology. And you yeah. know you have to build this first. You're not just jumping into a world, telling a story, and then binning it. Yeah, you, on. you've got a whole load um, of planning to do there. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of scripts and literal timelines to work out when things are and, and how these stories mesh, and that appeals as well. You know, there's a there's a part of my brain that likes that kind of thing, um, self-referential. You know, coming back and I like movies that do this with prequels and sequels, where you kind of go, if you haven't seen the first one, you don't know why this is important, but it's really important. And I'm an absolute movie nerd because this is really important detail. Um, I really love the original The Thing, the John Carpenter film. Uh, they did a sequel, prequel, I guess, to it, which was in the Norwegian base, sort of set before. So the, the place that they visit in the original film is the setting for the prequel sequel Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of elements in that where they kind of lay up all these moments so there's an axe buried in one of the doors and they see that after the fact kind of the chaos after the dust is settled but then in the prequel you see the this sort of thing that leads up to that and so it's that kind of like all these little points connect together all of the story you connects and and is hung on the same frame instead of just being random plots in the dark and i really like that and yeah what I've learned from reading an awful lot is that it's got to be human driven. You know, I enjoy science fiction. I enjoy spaceships and rockets and, and that kind of thing. So I'd probably enjoy quite dense technical information. I read a lot of dense technical information for work, but that's not good reading. It needs to be driven by emotion and people and, and human interaction uh, because otherwise people will get bored because reading you know NASA specifications for graphic design and logos, which is something that I've done, uh, is fun for me, but not fun for all. So I'm learning more about what people actually want to read. And, you know, it's a sci-fi story, but it's more about the people in the story than the setting. The story of the setting is a setting, not the story itself. Um, but I've always loved scale. So I think I'd probably do something with that. I just, I like the idea of things being colossal. I've always had a, an idea for, you know, there's two cranes in Belfast and when you stand below them, they are monumentally large and that sense of scale both in plot and, and physical presence has always awed me a little bit and I really like the idea of having that be you know come across and be present in what I write so be that giant spaceships or planets or whatever it's conveying the emotions that I enjoy through words is something that I hope to do if I ever manage to do it I don't know but that would be fiction if I'm going to write some fiction, that'll hopefully be the structure and the shape of it. I've also got a few ideas for some non-fiction-y bits that I think are worthwhile. They're not necessarily self-help stuff. It's just things that I've been ruminating on. Uh, not dissimilar from some of the stuff we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they work. I don't know if they're marketable. I don't even know if I'm ever going to sell them or give them to people. I just I like the idea of writing them down, if not only just to corral my own thoughts. But I do think non-fiction should be honest. I think it should be useful and I don't think it should be overly long because once you get beyond those three things, I think you're getting into that kind of preachy, 
Bible of something, you know, if you proclaim yourself to know all the answers to something, you probably don't. So, you know, something that is useful, helpful, and gets in and out without taking up too much of people's time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think uh, the nonfiction one is uh, it's a really interesting area because it's it's a huge sort of media crossover area where you've got um, you know screencasts, um, YouTube videos, yeah. instructional videos, um, all the way down to you know little eBooks that, as you say, then grow into e movements. So you know how to make a million dollars by the time you're seven or you know whatever. Um, and it, it's interesting because I think everybody sits on sort of different points along that line of what's useful and what isn't. Mm. And, um, I mean that that fiction project is uh, in itself just you know scoping that out. That's enormous. I mean, I used to yeah. do stuff like that when I was a kid. I used to draw islands, um, and then those islands, because obviously you know I would have forests in the middle of lakes and stuff which doesn't normally happen apparently forests don't grow in water who knew um i would just get around that because it would all be on the planet blah blah and <laughs> and then as you say i you're way ahead of this but as a kid i was then bumping into those things of going oh so why does this tree grow in water okay so i and you start bumping into the fact that you need rules you need some sort of some sort of logic, however twisted, to, to make everything yes. work. Um, and yeah, I used to, uh, people might, might remember um, those rotring uh, needle point pens that you used to get that, you know, a naught point naught this and naught point naught five. I had a big set of them uh -huh. with very dark black ink that I stained everything it touched. Um, <laughs> I, Refillable stuff? Yeah, I think they were rotring. I think they were rotring techno technical pens or something um and they were in a big plastic case it's all coming back to me in a flash now and i used to use those to draw out these incredibly detailed maps and um it would have been so much easier if somebody told me about dungeons and dragons but i pretty much invented it all on my own um <laughs> and then yeah a couple of years later discovered that it had been around for years and there were books and manuals and all sorts um but yeah that that sort of sci-fi world um, is, that's a huge project. Oh, it's massive, but it's kind of, it, it is its own end. You know, building it is almost as fun as sharing it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's there's no rule anywhere that says that anybody has to publish anything. There are plenty of people yeah. who write I mean, I, with no intention of ever publishing. I like the idea of sharing. I don't like the idea of getting into this uh, commercialization arms race of trying to get things done and having to take on jobs that I don't want to do to fund things or to, to do a lot of back end for stuff that I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I've done that kind of thing when I did a lot of video production where you're to make the creative videos I wanted to make. I had to do an ever increasing amount of non video work mm -hmm. and it gets to the stage where it took the fun out of video because in order to make a fun video, I had to spend twice as much time not making video to be able to afford the time and the money to do it. Mm, and so sure. you kind of go, well, what if I just did it as a hobby? What if I just did it because I like it? Then the stakes are zero and it, you know, the costs are negligible. For sure. And I think that's a better way of me doing it. That's not to say I'll not ever do anything in the future, but I just, I like the idea. And I've looked and I've listened to an awful lot of audiobooks. And I think that's 
a really interesting method, a really interesting vector for getting stories out there mm-hmm. because we do the podcast and the podcast is listened to by, you know, a, a small but growing, very loyal fan base of listeners who are wonderful and take an awful lot of time to, to comment back and share things with us. And I really like the community that we've built and the, the people are wonderful. Mm-hmm. And that's come about because we are sharing this content weekly. You know, people have done that before with books. You know, the serialized June, we talked about it earlier, serialized in a, in a magazine in the 60s. You know, that's totally feasible to do something like that. Scott Sigler, one of my favorite authors, was one of the first authors to actually take a book that he'd written, turn it into a serialized podcast and release it weekly. Mm. And he got his book deal off the back of that because he was able to build a fan base. And so I think, you know, technology gives us these opportunities to change the consumption of what we're doing you know it's a book but do you need to read it do you need to listen to it do you need to is there a hybrid i don't know but yeah it's i think there's different ways of doing it very interesting yeah it's a very interesting point food for thought so the how mm. the how i guess you've just drifted into the how there with yeah mm, drifted it could be it could be a an audio thing serialized audio but how, i mean one way of looking at the how question is how are you writing what's your um what's the tech you're using are you writing yeah into into a computer into a a notebook into uh, an app what so i kind of vacillate on this one because in my head it should be a case of it doesn't matter you should be able to write with anything because the creativity is coming from you but it comes back to what you were talking about before with the triggers and headspace is very important. It's easy to do groundwork when you're not feeling it. You know, you can sit down and look at something technical like dates or numbers and you know, knock out important technical information that you might need to make a story if you're not feeling into it. Mm-hmm. But it's very hard to get into a character's head or write something meaningful if you're just not feeling it. And so headspace is very important and getting into that headspace is not easy. As any you know, anyone who's ever tried to get into a flow state will know. It's not something that is just a switch. It's a process. And having these triggers, having your hat, having a particular place, having you know a certain app, these things can help. Not everybody will work the same, but certainly I find having a prescribed way of doing it uh, might engender more of that kind of flow state. And so the, the way I want to do it is I have a really nice mechanical keyboard that I really enjoy typing on. So that's my my writing apparatus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just typing into the MacBook for speed because as much as I love pencils, the idea of writing long form, all the words that I have in my head uh, will cripple me and I do not want to do that. So in terms of time versus speed, I'm going to be typing. I think... Um, uh, and there's also an... Yeah, there's a great tweet from, uh, from Harry Marks um, uh, maybe only a week ago. Um, s- uh-huh. Something about... Um, this year, I, I learned uh, a lot about writing um, a novel in longhand. Uh, mostly that I never want to write a novel in longhand again. <laughs> Something like that. I've paraphrased it badly, but um, it's a very clear message, which you appear to have taken on board. Mm, yes. So what uh, what software will you be using? Is it just going into Google Docs or... So yeah, again, I've I've kind of gone between various things to see what will work for me. 
Uh, I'm not using anything fancy like Ulysses or Scrivener or anything like that. There's no proper architecture yet for it because at the minute I'm still in that exploration phase of like, can I write prose that I don't hate? Mm -hmm. Can I write words that I don't want to bin? Um, one of the apps I have found, which is free, that I really like, is called Blinky, uh, B-L-I-N-K-Y, mm -hmm. for the Mac. And it's essentially an emulator of an old computer screen. So you turn it on, it kind of like boots up and dings, and you're given like a little green flashing cursor. And as you type, it gives you a little tick noise, and you can change it, you can theme it however you want. There's lots of different ones, but it basically emulates old computers, oh, which impressive. is something that I have loved for the longest time and i came in right on the cusp of them going away so i have fond memories of them but no real practical experience so mechanical keyboard plus a, an app that emulates an old computer puts me into the headspace of sci-fi yeah for sure immediately you can see it. i mean it and so that ties in with the genre doesn't yeah it? yeah and it's a nice workspace to be in and i have a the, the sort of bare bones for a video ironically i've written a script for a video uh, exactly on this about analog thinking and digital writing because mm -hmm. I, as much as I'd love to write long form in the kind of Hemingway-esque, you know, cafe with a pencil and just write out my manuscript, it's not practical. It won't suit me and I know I won't do it. I know for a fact if I'm ever going to write something, it will not be pencil and paper for the full thing. Um, that's fine for sketching. It's fine for ideas, but the actual nuts and bolts of getting words onto screen needs to be fast. And so having these little triggers, having the setup hopefully will be a way for me to write things that I enjoy because that's my primary concern is am I enjoying what I'm writing? And if I shared it with friends and family, would they go, that's pretty cool. After that and beyond that, you know, commercialization maybe, sharing maybe, but I think the, the main thing for me is can I make something that I'm proud of mm -hmm. and that I am happy to show? And after that, we'll look at everything else. But Blinky, uh, mechanical keyboard and some noise cancelling headphones. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think you've just spot on the uh, the tools themselves make no difference at all. Uh, it, yeah. it really does not matter where you you type things in. It, it, what matters is what it means to you. And opening up Blinky and getting your headphones out is is you saying, right, okay, I'm writing now. Um, I, I I'm very similar. I use I use Scriv um, in in the past. And Scrivener's brilliance. It's like the um, uh, it's the it's the Sherman tank to cracker walnuts. Really, uh, <laughs> you, you can your your planning sort of technique is what is what Scrivener was was built for. So um, you can do enormous amounts of linking, and it's a whole. Uh, it's like the Microsoft Office suite, all in one. Um, it's an ecosystem. Yeah, it just does everything. Um, and I found it incredibly intimidating and ended up, um, again, I've written a post on this somewhere, but I ended up using it like Word. Um, so, you know, I was using sort of 2% <laughs> of its capability um, and then looking at the rest in a slightly sort of fearful way uh, and doing a lot of the things that you could do in Scrivener I was doing um, in a notebook. Um, so now I use Ulysses, which is a much more straightforward thing. Um, but still very, very clever. Um, and it's got lots of organizational tools. It's got a lot of hidden functionality, which I really enjoy because when you're typing in, in uh, Ulysses, it is a blank screen. So um, obviously you can change how things look, but it is purely a blank screen. 
you can do everything with um, the keyboard. You don't need to use a mouse, uh, or if you're using the iPad, you don't need to, to touch the screen. You can do it all with keyboard, keyboard shortcuts and markdown, which was a little bit of a learning curve, but not much of one. And so I love that in the, the flow state that you talk about that you're trying to achieve. It, it, Ulysses doesn't get in my way. What I've recently discovered in the last sort of oh, literally two weeks is that I use uh, Ulysses for all manner of writing. So if I'm doing a post for Nero's notes, it will start in Ulysses. If I'm writing um, uh, a complicated email, a review, a report for a corporate client, it will start in Ulysses. And okay, I have a nice little um, folder system and everything is kept separate and it's fine, it's all okay. Um, but I'm wondering whether I might want to separate out the the sort of corporate stuff to another app um, mm -hmm. just just for that sort of whole flow thing um, because I can see a time when I should be working on uh, on the book uh, how easy it would be to drift into working on a, a blog post you know just one flick of the mouse and I'm somewhere else if you see what I mean. Um, yeah but that or a different device yeah yeah the device thing is is true i mean it's um again i've I've been sort of full circle on all this but um i i my computer setup if that's the right term uh is actually i've made a desktop setup not using a desktop so i've got a laptop that's uh in is closed the macbook is closed uh but an external screen and a keyboard and a mouse so essentially on my desk is a keyboard and behind the desk is is a display. So it's very, very simple, very straightforward and emulates almost exactly what I have with the iPad, which is I have it on a little stand mm -hmm. and I have a little keyboard and it's very simple and it's very straightforward. It's just a bit smaller. Um, as it happens, because we have a puppy, um, I have to spend quite a lot of time not in my office. Um, when I'm on sort of puppy duties uh, and having the iPad that I can sort of take up and just emulate this setup has worked really well for me um, and I could see myself sort of writing it all on the iPad I'm sort of slowly getting my head around how that all works um, but uh, part of the joy of, of being you know alive when we're alive is that actually you can have it on your iPad and your computer and your phone all at the same time you know, you know we'll all talk to each other and and be where you want it to be. Um, so yeah, it, it is about, as you say, it's about that mindset. It's about getting yourself into the place that says, okay, I'm writing now, because you will write a lot of rubbish, um, but you can edit rubbish and you can make rubbish better. Um, you can't edit uh, a blank page. Yeah, you can't edit nothing. Uh, and so, you know, when, when you write a, a sentence, think that, I've got to be able to say that better. Fine, you can come and say it better, you know, in a month or in a year, but but say it, and that's that's the most important thing. And the the writing world is full of people uh, coming out with a hundred different ways of saying, um, "Put your ass in the chair and write." <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you've got to turn up. Uh, Hemingway. What you were saying about Hemingway is fascinating, actually, because you were actually saying that you'd like to be like him and then explained how you were like him. Hemingway believed that you needed to write fast. Um, 
I think he may have said right drunk and edit sober, but what he meant was um, <laughs> he he typed. So he would uh, sit around in the cafes um, with his notebook, but essentially he was focusing on, on drinking. Um, and, well, his subconscious was doing what his subconscious was doing. But then he would go, and the next morning, regardless of how much he'd had to drink or how hungover he was feeling, he used to call it biting the nail. Um, <laughs> he would get up in the morning and hammer away at the at the typewriter, um, which is kind of what you were saying. You know, you you need to to find that time wherever it's going to be, and uh, yeah, and inspiration will strike uh, while you're typing. It it won't it won't strike and and force you to type if you see what I mean you're not walking along the street you go I must get to a keyboard immediately I can feel this great novel coming <laughs> um you have to you know put yourself down and and sit there and and bite the nail as he says um but yeah the the other house oh, I think we probably have to leave those now because I think we're probably going to run quite long as we are yeah I think writing two would be a welcome uh, revisit, you know, once we've both had a little bit of time to actually do a bit more. Well, indeed, yeah, I've got to have sort of, you know, chapters, chapters in the bag, and uh, or books in the bag. Who knows? Um, yeah, no, phew, God, look at that. I'm just going through to make sure there's nothing we've missed. I don't think there is. So, how much time are you thinking you're going to be able to give this? Because I mean, you, you're pretty full as it is, life-wise, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah. Um, recently, I've tried a new structure where I have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday set aside for not only work, but side projects and side gigs and all that jazz. Uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, free time, no work allowed. Um, and so part of that is that I edit the podcast on a Tuesday night instead of a Saturday and Sunday when I was doing it before. Oh, okay. And I started that last week. And the difference it made to my enjoyment of the weekend and the free time I had on the weekend was incredible. And a lot of this is mental. Mm -hmm. You know, I never dread editing the podcast. I just, there's an obligation to get it done sure. because I'd never want to, you know, let anybody not have an episode. You know, that is my overriding thing. And so inevitably I wouldn't get up early on a Saturday morning when I meant to. Uh, so I'd have a lion on Saturday morning and then we'd be going out. So it wouldn't happen on Saturday afternoon. And then I get home and I was like, well, I'm not going to start work on a Saturday night. I'm not going to do this now. So it would be Sunday. Sunday morning rolls around. Sunday afternoon rolls around. And then it was sort of Sunday 5 p.m. <laughs> for a, a Monday release. And it, it, you know, it gradually moved further and further back until it was on this Sunday evening. And I realized that the whole weekend long, all I was thinking about is the things I hadn't done, sure. not what I want to do. Um, and this is something that I love doing. I love editing the podcast. I love being able to put it out there. It's always a fun process. It's not particularly taxing. I, I enjoy it. It's not like it's a massive stress on me. But even something like that, I find letting it linger, letting it sit over me all weekend was impacting my enjoyment of said weekend. So I've tried now to, to have a set schedule. So Monday's recording, Tuesday is editing, Wednesday is wood and graphite, and Thursday is writing. Okay. And I hope with a bit more structure because it's not about output. I'm not trying to do, you know, two things a week. I'm just saying, right, if nothing else, you're dedicating 90 minutes to two hours on this thing in the evening. And if it takes you six months to get something done, great. But at least you're working consistently and you're not just saying, oh, I'll do it next week. I'll do it next week. Oh, this thing got in the way. 
you know, I'm trying to, to fit that consistent time in and have a default operating system for when I do things. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a good idea. And I mean, you've spoken before routines, very, very important to you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something, ironically, it's something I change an awful lot. Um, so I struggle, I struggle to get a routine that works for me. I struggle to keep a routine. Um, but there are elements of it that I can definitely see the benefit of. Mm -hmm. And so the writing, I think it's not a massive thing. It's not, I wouldn't say that it occupies the same priority as any of my other projects or indeed any of the, the writing that you're doing. It's not the same priority to me. It's an enjoyable thing that I've always wanted to do that I'm finally taking some time and putting it aside for. Because, you know, if I'm very honest with myself and I look at what I do with my time when I'm not doing what I would consider hobby jobs, it's meaningless and it doesn't actually make me that happy sometimes. You know, time with family and friends always makes me happy. Playing a video game can be nice and relaxing sometimes, but you know, if you watch garbage television for three hours and at the end of it you think, I really wish I had something to show for this. Mm. I don't feel good. I don't feel bad. I, mostly I feel ambivalent. Um, you know, I'd rather feel tired but proud than ambivalent any day. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So yeah, it, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to fit in, if it's going to fit in at all. But I'm eager to try. Well, I mean, that's got to be where it starts. No other way of doing it. I mean, for me, the, the I've known this for quite a while, but uh, most of my writing is probably done before nine in the morning. Um, and that would that be works quite nicely. That would be that would be anything. That would be um, long form stuff or blog posts. Uh, I find it really easy to write them at six in the morning. Um, once I get to about eleven, pff, uh, I can barely string two words together. No idea why that might be. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I, Say so, okay, I'm an early riser. Uh, I've got a puppy, so I'm now an enforced early riser. Um, and actually, at the moment, that period when the dog uh, Spice wakes up around five thirty, um, as the sun begins to think about rising and cockles start crowing and dogs wake up. And then when she wakes up, and she's a puppy, she needs to go out, so she starts whining. So I'm up. And then uh, Margaret and her sister, they both get up. Oh, Oh, they have huge lions um, till about, I don't know, 7, 7.30. But that <laughs> that period of two hours, I actually get quite a lot done, usually with one hand playing with the dog and one hand typing or, or one hand writing. <laughs> um, Multitasker. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, I find those those hours sort of golden. Um, that's when ideas flow. It's when I feel very much in the flow, as it were. Uh, and then later in the day, I find it a real struggle. So I, I don't do much writing. Bizarrely, it comes back about now. Now I could write. And it's uh, it's about quarter to midnight now. Um, but given that I've got to set my alarm for 0100 to wake the dog up, um, <laughs> I, I suspect I probably won't write tonight. But anyway, we're running yeah. really, really long. So I'm going to stop and say, I have been Stu Lennon. And I've been TJ Cosgrove. Remember to make the past, the present, in the future. This was a very extended season finale of 1857.